A reading from the book of Moses, Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness. Yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards the day one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. 
and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall pray shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of God of himself to God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a debt. But that slave, um, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a debt. Owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slaves, slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. 
my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed and glorified, that we would have a greater reverence and awe of you, that we would hear from your word, that your Holy Spirit would convict us in our hearts, um, not just of sin, but of righteousness and of judgment to bring about uh, great praises and ecstatic worship to you this evening. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Uh, so if you guys are paying any attention to how, at least I'm doing this on Wednesdays, is the first reading is what I'm primarily going off of with the, uh, and primarily the Torah, the Pentateuch, the Genesis, Exodus so far from what we've started. And then the New Testament, the second reading of, we've been in Romans and going through Matthew. Uh, so... I didn't, I don't have, I, this week I didn't even provide any notes with the other ones because it's already, we've already gone through Genesis. The psalm is talking about that same Genesis passage and whatnot. Uh, so feel free to, uh, and I hope you guys, if you are using this to study more throughout the week, to read through, through those in your own private devotions or household devotions or, or whatever. Or um, I hope to really just give kind of quick hermeneutical principles or something that'll help throughout the week or something to think on. Um, because really like these, it would, we could, these could be two or three hours every week. Um, we could cut it down to maybe an hour or something if we just focused on one scripture reading. But since we're uh, trying to cram in uh, two liturgical calendars, a uh, selection from Psalm 119 um, into 45 minutes, Kind of just giving you guys something to help you throughout the week. Uh, but maybe one day we'll go back to doing three-hour Bible studies uh, in the middle of the week. I bet you guys are excited about that. Here are crickets. That's weird. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so let's look at that Exodus. Exodus 14, 19 through 31. Hopefully, um, if, if you guys are kind of familiar with uh, especially how the apostles use the New Testament, uh, a, a big section of focus is on the storyline of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, otherwise known as the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Law, the books of Moses. Um, so those should we should have kind of those stories like read over and over and over and know kind of the foundation of them, um, of thinking and just to bring out, you know, how these scripture readings are set up. We don't pick them. We use a, a lectionary. And Psalm 114 is singing about these accounts in Israel, these things that have happened. And so if you're thinking, well, um, well we could look. I'll look in the ESV real quick, and I've got the same Bible as a pew Bible that we have, and I'm 90% sure that I'm right about this, but let's just... Go to Psalm 114, and I don't think there's any heading that gives us any clue as to what time. Sometimes they'll say, like, you know, Moses wrote a psalm. It's a psalm of David, uh, sons of Asaph or something. Uh, but there's no indication in this psalm on when it was written or who wrote it, except that you might be able to tell there's three books in Psalms and uh, maybe who wrote the majority of those psalms. And I'm sorry, there's five books because I just looked in Psalm 107 starts book five. <laughs> so there's five books in the Psalms, I think, uh, if I'm right. 
So Psalm 108, it says it's a Psalm of David. And, but there's no indication on Psalm 114, but it's speaking of these same events. And so we should be able to, this, like, this is our heritage. These are our people. This didn't happen in a far off distant land in a time long, long ago for us to think about it and get some altruistic virtue out of it. Now, there are certain things we should glean, you know, of to how they related, but like these are our people. We should be thinking in terms of God did this for them. This is how he delivered them. And uh, Hebrews, if I, as I got it on here, Hebrews 8, 6 says, we are part of a better covenant. And so you got to think that these are our people. This is our heritage. Abraham, right, all the way back to Abraham was our father. Every time I say that, we got to make the joke. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. One of them. So are you. <laughs> All right. We, we do that. John Luke and I do that. Kind of frequently at the condo, just for fun. Uh, but he knows it and does it a lot better. Uh, I don't know if there's more verses than that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but like these are like we should be able to relate to this and and get this storyline and see how the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, is coming down in a flaming pillar of smoke and fire. In the same way, in Genesis 15, he came and passed through the uh, passed through the cut pieces in the covenant. And I like to think about you know some things just to add on to here of you know not just like you know later on there were people who sung about these who were. Um, you know, their genealogy was rooted in that, right? So that would, you know, they're, you might seem like they're a little bit closer, but all who are sons of Abraham, all who are reborn in Christ who relate through faith in Abraham, uh, we should be able to sing the same way. They're singing victory. The psalmist is singing victory. And always it's a, it's a triumphant, you know, victory march through the psalms and, and through singing. And so... Um, you know, thinking about like how the Lord acted and just some of the kind of minute details that cause you to think about that. Like, like they sat, like the Israelites are sitting at the, at the, the feet of the, of the Red Sea and there's just this pillar of like smoke and this cloud that are separating the armies of the Egyptians from the Israelites. And at that point, the Israelites were a mixed multitude that come out into the desert. So there were some Egyptians that joined them and they're probably pretty happy at this point. Uh, <laughs> to some degree, and they'll be even happier later, you know, by the end of the passage. But it's not instant. Like, the Lord just, like, has them sit on the beach with this huge flaming pillar. The armies are just waiting. And why it isn't until later that the Egyptians, when they're in the middle of the Red Sea and there's walls of water and they're stuck in the mud, they finally say, Yahweh is fighting for them. <laughs> like, they didn't have their minds opened. They were totally bent on on destroying the Israelites, uh, the sons and daughters of Yahweh, even amidst a, like a flaming tower of smoke. And they're like, well, well this is weird, but we're going to get them. Uh, they were very determined. Um, and But just kind of seeing like God sovereign, he let them there stay all night. And eventually Moses stuck the staff into the Red Sea, it parted, they walked through, the chariots were encroaching on Israel, and they got to the other side and... And, uh, and all of 
God's people's enemies were, were wiped away after that. And so the apostolic hermeneutic we can glean from that is what's in the New Testament, what do we relate to the crossing, passing through the waters? Baptism, right? I think it's First Peter, could be Second Peter, 2, could be 3, but you guys can look it up um, about how it relates that, that those waters of the Red Sea to baptism of, you know, uh, God called him out there into the desert to worship him, brought, had already brought judgment on all of uh, Egypt, brought them out into the desert uh, to a place where, you know, uh, the Lord was leading them and guiding them. They could have probably, in some sense, geographically went around the Red Sea, but that's not where the Lord led them. He led them to the waters to be baptized, to be uh, passed through there, where otherwise, without the Lord, they would have been dead. Right? There's a death and a resurrection in there. Um, and not to spend too much time on this passage, but uh, just see how the New Testament relates baptism to this account, uh, how to rightfully and, and kind of go back and read this story and you know, think about those things in a resurrection sense. And uh, you know, the, uh, Moses, through the Holy Spirit, was very particular about you know, some things. And it says there was an east wind coming, right? Does anybody could guess or know why he points out the direction for any. And where do we get in the scripture so far things from the, from the east? What's that? Yeah, but why do, why do we know that? What, what do we know in the scriptures thus far that would say that something coming from the east is bringing the presence of God? Right, Eden was in the east. When they were, they were, they were expelled, facing they were expelled to the west, facing the east. Right? Or was that opposite? I can't remember. I'm looking at Deanna's hand signals. Uh, right, right. And the, so the doors of the sanctuary are facing east. And so when they're kicked out, you know they're kicked out. So reread the the directions. I'll give you a hint. Um, of what the Lord's doing, right? There's an east wind that's, that's coming, you know, saying that we're bringing, coming back to the presence of God, the garden, he's going to restore things. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until after, I just wonder, uh, you know, obviously people are hard-hearted. You are, I am, the Israelites were. And it always gets me when it says, like, after this, after they passed through, then they feared the Lord and believed Yahweh and in his servant Moses. I'm like, well, you guys are already out into the desert, so <laughs> I guess you're believing again. Okay, so just trying to give you some helpful tools to maybe read some things a little bit deeper and, and meditate on that this week. So let's get to Romans, Romans 14. I might as well open up my Bible or read off this sheet. So we'll kind of focus the rest of the time and kind of mend together Matthew and Romans. If it hasn't already been stated, I love Romans. Uh, it's my favorite epistle. So, um, we kind of have at least, <coughs> excuse me, at least in, I don't know, the people I talk to the most in the church, I think we do quite a good job of teaching on the fact of Romans 14 of, you know, going out of your way to not offend a weaker brother or another brother or sister in anything, um, you know, that might cause them to get offended with, uh, you know, not forcing anything, any Christian freedoms or, or, or anything on them. 
But one of the things I think we forget, and I think the heart of this passage is often overlooked because we start looking for practical ways to apply it, right? That's what we all want to know. How then should I live? Like, what do I got to do? Like, how do I get to heaven? Just tell me, like, and I'll get there. Like, just tell me which direction. Is it east or is it west? I can't remember. Uh, you know, just point me in the right direction. I'll get there. Um, but I kind of want to refocus on this and just read some things and and hopefully we can meditate on them and um, maybe think of the the higher goal that's at the heart of not wanting to offend our brother and sister and not, you know, um, I don't know about you guys, but like when I read this, I'm like, okay, I eat meat. You're the weaker brother. <laughs> like, we didn't apply that to anything. Uh, I do this. I have the freedom. I exercise this Christian freedom. You choose not to. I'm the more mature one. And I walk around on my high horse and let you know that you're the weaker brother. Uh, that's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, and that's not the heart behind it. And, um, but let's just get into verse 1 of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, right? The Nasby says, in order to pass judgment on his opinions, don't welcome him so that you can judge his opinions. Hey, why don't you come over for dinner, and I know this kind of offends you, but maybe we can talk about it, and I can tell you what I think about it. Don't do that, right? The King James says, um, but not to dispute over doubtful things. The NIV, without quarreling over disputable matters, right? So I don't know about you, but like this is, this is meat. This is meat versus vegetables. Jesus declared all foods clean in Mark 17, 19. That's not disputable. Come on, Paul. <laughs> like, you know this, right? No, but think about the time and the culture they were in. And... Um, especially like just the culture. And I think this plays into like the culture, whatever culture, whatever family culture, whatever religious culture, whatever um, national culture, you know, you grew up and it's so hard to get out of this. Like there were Jews coming to Christ who had dealt with dietary laws, right? Jesus offended people because he didn't wash his hands. I would be a little grossed out too, <laughs> but it goes farther than that. Um, because these were, these were laws, these were instituted by God, these were a way of their people. This is how we do it. We don't eat meat that was sacrificed. We don't eat meat that's not declared clean. We do these things. On these days, this is how we do it. Why? Well, you have a plethora of reasons to choose from. That's how I grew up. That's what I feel like my conviction from Scripture is. That's, uh, I do it this way because there's someone I like there and I want to get to know them or whatever. Um, you know, there's a plethora of reasons, but Paul's saying that these are, these are opinions. These are secondary, tertiary things of whether or not, you know, in this, of someone who's probably coming out of Judaism, um, is convicted that, you know, I lived my whole life and didn't eat these things. And, and now you're asking me to just like jump the boat and uh, in practical ways and start eating this meat. And, you know, I, I always figured like if you gave them a little bacon, they'd probably change their mind <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> like that's all you got to do is give them the bacon and, and they'll be all right. Uh, but no. So he says like, welcome them. It's a, it's a spirit of hospitality. And I think that's what I kind of really want to uh, get at here is that 
you know, I'm going to talk a little bit in Matthew about the, uh, you know, forgiveness, uh, how he, he says a parable about forgiveness. And whenever you see a parable about the kingdom, that's like an elementary, that's a base, that's a fundamental part of the kingdom. And one of those, like the parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, when there's two keys to that parable is number one is that it's going to grow and become big. And two, that all the birds of various kinds are coming in. And, you know, even Jesus said he was coming to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but, you know, welcomed in people who were not of Israel and all these things. And part of the the thing that is so counter to the way the world works is we're supposed to be people groups, churches, individuals, families that are intermingled with people who are not like us at all, who we don't, that are older, that are younger, that are from different family backgrounds, that uh, uh, different races, obviously race relations are huge, you know, nowadays. And uh, we're supposed to be those people that no matter what, if you're socially awkward, if you've got, you know, if you're highly educated or, or if you just got out of prison and, and don't know how to read, we're supposed to welcome them. We're supposed to show hospitality. There's no basis for anything. And when with that is the foundation, um, because we get into verse six where it says, you know, both of them have the heart posture towards God that I'm going to give thanks, regardless of these convictions, right? That's what I think Paul's getting at you know, and speaking through the Holy Spirit is that both of these people are, are, have faith towards God and render thanks and praise towards him. And so when we jump in and we start quarreling about opinions um, or minute things or, uh, you know, throwing in, in my language here, things that are like past orthodoxy with, uh, you know, maybe brothers or sisters that are newer or whatever the, I don't know, he doesn't necessarily say newer people, that just seems to happen more in practical living of, you know, that we're not in a position to say something or to teach something to them, right? Like obviously in Acts 19, who is it um, that brought Apollos aside and taught him the way more clearly? There's Priscilla and Aquila who brought him aside and said, hey, by the way, like Jesus was the Christ, he already came, he, he suffered, he died, he, he was crucified, he was resurrected, the temple curtain was torn in two, and you know, whatever he might have said, it's um, kind of answering that. But they brought him more aside because those were orthodox matters about like Jesus Christ had already come, he's the Messiah, he was buried for three days, he was resurrected. Like John's baptism is like a baptism of repentance, but we're baptizing people uh, for, uh, you know, in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, right? Those were like really like big things. That wasn't like, oh, by the way, like we don't eat this meat, like, or you could eat this meat or whatever. Right? They're not, you know, taking the policy aside for something trivial. And so when we do that, the effect is that, you know, the, it offers up the opportunity for offense thus robbing God of praise and thanksgiving, right? The biggest offense isn't that our brother or sister is offended and that they might, you know, not be as friendly with us or they might, you know, in a community saying they might leave our church or do something because they're offended. The biggest offense is that they're not going to give thanks to God and he's not going to get his right praises. And so think on those things of, um, you know, just welcome. I think 
of just like welcoming people and, you know, thinking about like these more trivial things that are maybe matters of opinion or matters of Christian freedom of, do you really have a position that you could say, that you could say something that might offend them and they'll listen, right? And so, you know, one of the things that um, I'm like, you know, eternally grateful and to, to Nathan Hager for is, you know, when I was in a position in my life when I didn't have any friends, uh, it wasn't here in the church, I wasn't in this church yet, um, but I was in a, a separate church and had been going there for a little bit and didn't have any friends. And I'm pretty sure just people knew me and didn't want to be my friend uh, or at least knew a little bit about me and didn't want to be my friend or it was at least a sticky situation for them. And But, you know, one thing I'm just like eternally grateful to Nathan for is he was the only person that invited me over to dinner, just said, hey, I want to hear your testimony. What are you doing here? Like, uh, And you know, eventually got to a position, you know, where, because uh, he fed me and, uh, you know, like that was the best, that was the best. He welcomed me over, uh, hung out for about three hours. I remember we ate what he calls egg creations, which is just an omelet with a bunch of stuff in it. And um, it's really good. It's really cheap. And, you know, after about three hours, he was just like, eh, you want to read the Bible sometime? And then I stayed for another three hours, three or four hours. And that developed a friendship between Nathan is just because he was willing to welcome me and he just wanted to lay down foundations and he just wanted to help me get started reading the scriptures. But he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, he gave me a book by Rush Dooney, uh, but he didn't start going into like antinomianism or, you know, these other things. He started to lay down a foundation of the gospel, but he welcomed me. He didn't start quarreling over, you know, minute things and, you know, to Nathan, I'm just eternally, uh, pretty much owe him, owe him my life for that. And so, show hospitality, welcome people, welcome brothers and sisters, and try not to offend them. Uh, you know, one thing that we have to constantly fight against is this uh, homogeneity. I keep wanting to say homogeneity, but that's not right. Um, is that we all, we even do it, I even on Sunday, I sat down at a table or I was talking to somebody and I asked him where he's sitting. He said, I'm sitting over at the nerds table. And <laughs> it was the nerds table. <laughs> Let's be honest. There was a lot of uh, electrical engineers and, and brain type people that I was kind of out of place uh, in that one. And, and we even have a tendency to do that in our own communities of we hang out with the people we're most comfortable with, usually because we're most like them in some sense. <laughs> but, you know, I really encourage us to think about that of, you know, being able to welcome and being a people that is known for being diverse and not being diverse as a whole, we like that, right? We're kind of diverse, but being able to say that, well, we're diverse, but we have like our geek squad over here and they hang out together the most and we have our uh, people who like to go hiking or something over here. And just to think about like, you know, um, I got to look at what number of passage, what verse it is. Um, but Paul actually says, like, for this reason, verse 9, for this and Christ died and lived again. Oop, lost my place. Lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Right at the end of those who both are, one's abstaining from meat and one is not. 
And in order that Christ actually died, not just for our sins, but he rose in order that we might be united, that there might be a people group of all nations, of all nationalities, of all likes and colors and ages and socioeconomic status and whatnot, that we would actually, you know, enjoy fellowship with people who are different than us. And the world doesn't understand that. It's, you really have to have the power of God, the power of the resurrected Christ to live in that manner. And that's something we should lay hold of and look for. So running into Matthew 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, um, for the last eight to 10 minutes is, uh, you know, within that, within thinking on those things of, like Jesus gives a, a parable, he gives a parable about forgiveness. Whenever he's given a parable, these are foundational things about the kingdom, right? He says the kingdom of God is like, Okay, so we should pay attention. These are like really big things. These are things we should know. So forgiveness, right, uh, is huge. Um, I always think in, uh, you know, I think it's Ephesians, it might be Colossians that, you know, says like forgiving others as Christ forgave, or as God forgave us in Christ. Um, Thinking of kind of a litmus test of how deep do I understand and how deep am I sanctified in my mind if, 2 Corinthians says that we have the mind of Christ. How deep does forgiveness go in my life? Because that's probably like the hardest thing. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's probably the hardest thing like on a daily, you know, basis from waking up and, uh, you know, living in community. We got to forgive people all the time, whether they were actually in the wrong or not, or whether I just took offense to it. But... (coughs) But it's super hard. That's a basis for the kingdom, and that's how we're supposed to operate. And it's a litmus test to see how much we understand Christ's forgiveness, how much we understand the depths of our sin, and what God's called us to is how easily we forgive others. And, um, you know, obviously it would take, like, the power of God in our lives and to transform our minds. But, you know, go back to Romans 12 that, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Go back to the scriptures, go back to the word of the Lord. And, you know, think about those things as like, uh, you know, when there's a need for forgiveness, even when it's something legitimate and somebody sins against you, what's your like gut reaction? And I often find myself, myself, there's only one of me, uh, myself, like, you know, recognizing maybe a day or two or a week later of like being like, man, like, Lord, you know, maybe I like outwardly handled this situation kind of good in the moment, but I kind of stewed on it for like two or three days. And it actually like took me like two, three days a week to, you know, confess to the Lord that I forgive the person. I don't hold it against them. I'm going to like wipe it clean and not think about it. And it, it takes a while for me, and it's not, it's not instant. There's a lot of sanctification that needs to take place. And so, you know, we have, you know, if you go through the parable and the unforgiving servant and, you know, and um, it's the last verse, I'm going to guess it's 35. Let me turn to Matthew 18. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or the tormentors till he should pay all his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers, your brother from your heart. So we've done multiple teachings about how you know just unforgiveness and bitterness in itself is a torment, or it could be either a spiritual component of uh, unclean spirits or demons that will actually torment you. And I actually think that's a grace of God. Like, why would it says out of anger he delivered him over? But why would the Father, who's all loving, let us go to the jailers and be tormented? And that I don't think this is, you know, we tend to think of like these heavenly, like it's heaven or hell. And maybe he's saying, you know, in the final judgment, then, you know, those unforgiving people are in hell tormented. And certainly that would be true, you know. Um, but I think in this life, as we look at that, the Lord actually allows us to be tormented with bitterness and unforgiveness and allow it to take a, a portion and control of our lives, even if there's a demonic aspect, to show us how much we want to be set free. Uh, I could talk for another two hours about just my life prior to Christ and how every decision was pretty much based on bitterness. And, um, you know, I think in terms of that was hell for me, and I don't want to go back to hell because <laughs> that was a pretty crappy way of living, right? And and I think you know, but in my hard heartedness, in in you know, in my sin before Christ, that was used. The Lord was using that to show how much freedom He wants to give us. And so, if you were to tormented by that, I think the end result that the Lord wants to see is that, like, oh, I want freedom. I hate being controlled by this. I want to be set free. And then crying out, you know, and taking the means of grace to be set free. Because if you're okay with it, if you like being in jail, uh, you'll be in jail. <laughs> Trust me, I worked in jail for seven years. You knew who liked being in jail and who didn't. <laughs> and, they, and they stayed very comfortable and they'd come in at certain times and they would stay. It's free housing, free cable, three meals a day, workout equipment, and... It wasn't tormenting them. It was a vacation. Probably their normal life, work. <laughs> Getting a job was torment. And they were trying to escape that. So, so you know, if that's something, um, you know, especially unforgiveness or bitterness, if that's, you know, something that you recognize in your life, the Lord is trying to give you light and open your eyes to say, I don't want to be tormented anymore. And just like we talked about in, Genesis 34, I think, of when Jacob was wrestling with God and changed his name to Israel, is he wants to bring you to a spirit of like, I'm going to escape from jail. I'm getting out. I'm going to throw off these tormentors by the grace of God. I'm going to apprehend the three tools of grace and his word, his spirit, and the church, and I'm getting out of here. It's jailbreak time, right? So think on those things this week. Um, Let's pray and then worship. Father, uh, we pray that and we ask that you would be glorified, that you'd be pleased with our worship, that we would offer up thanksgiving and gratitude to you, that we would see the works that you've done through you people from the beginning of history, that you'd remind us of those things, not just the didactic things in Scripture, but uh, shed light on the things in our lives individually and just corporately as as a church that you've done sovereignly uh, to set us free from the captive, to, to wipe out our enemies. Lord, we're new creations in Christ. 
especially if we've been passed through the waters of baptism, we've been raised uh, with Christ and are seated at heavenly places, and we glorify you here. Amen.